Hello everybody, welcome back to the History of Video Games. My name is Wes and I am here with Ben. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm doing great. How are you, Wes? I am doing pretty dang good. Do you want to get us started off today with what you've been gaming on recently? Yes, I do because I've actually been playing something new. Ooh. Legitimately, too. <laughs> Not just for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but you know I was talking about that Lord of the Rings game last week, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I tried to hunt down my original. I actually found the original game, like, inside the case with the discs and everything, but no GameCube to play it on. So I had to emulate it, but I've been playing the emulated version, and it's basically exactly like I remember. (laughs) (laughs) The combat's really good. It's just turn-based. I think I said last week that I thought each character had maybe like three to five special abilities, but each one has its own like talent tree with, I want to say like 10 to 15 abilities. Oh, crazy. And you don't, yeah, you don't get them all in the beginning, obviously, but as you play, you'll unlock that talent tree stuff. And uh, right now we've got four characters. I can only play with three at a time. So uh, that's a a little weird because I feel like sometimes I kind of want to be leveling up everybody, but one person's kind of always like not in there, not getting XP, which is a little annoying. Right. But uh, the game's like good. The combat's great. The characters are pretty memorable. It's extremely linear, which I actually kind of really like because we just don't get like AAA level linear games anymore. And what's great about a linear game is around every corner or every loading screen in this case, because each area is not too big, it's just like another handcrafted part of the world you know that you're meant to come in from this angle and it's pretty cool it's very limiting you're kind of on a single path essentially but uh i think it's really well done every area that you walk into could be really really cool and a lot of the times it is and then following in the fellowship's footsteps is like awesome i kind of forgot about this but as you go through the game you'll get these like cutscenes that are just straight clips of the movie with <laughs> the guy who uh plays Gandalf narrating like your journey in relation to what you're looking at. Oh wow. I forget what that guy's name is, but Ian McKellen? Yeah, uh, whoever plays Gandalf. But uh dude, he is like so freaking good. <laughs> and uh him like narrating your journey, it's like, yes, I need more of this. And he does it in the Gandalf voice. It's like, I mean, it's like AAA voice acting, you know? It's like, you can't get much better than that. (laughs) It'll be stuff like, they'll show like a clip from like them in Moria and Gandalf will narrate and he'll be like, I hope that you don't, you know, come across the same goblins that we did, you know, or something. (laughs) Oh, that's so nice that it actually like connects it to. (laughs) Yeah, that's really cool. And I've just been having a good time with it. I have been like, watching out for difficulty because i know it's going to be bad and so far it was like it was going really well and i i didn't have any issues and then just today i fought the balrog which was a big boss you know at the end of this one area in moria right and that was really hard i even had gandalf with me with our party and he was like a beast but I wiped once, and then I got him the second time, which makes it sound like it wasn't too bad, but it was pretty bad. <laughs> I uh, I had to keep using, like, revives on all my guys, and I don't have, like, infinite amounts of those. So I got him, but it was pretty costly, and it was really difficult. 
And like I had thought, there are some areas where monsters will respawn indefinitely, but they're few and far between. So I think the one before the Balrog, I would have probably had to go back, like travel back, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes, like of just walking through the world until I got to one of those places again. Oh, yikes. So it, it's pretty hard to farm stuff. And I think the other thing that makes it hard is that it doesn't explain itself at all. <laughs> like uh, one of Gandalf's abilities when he joined the team for, for the Balrog was like, protect your party against shadow damage. That's all it said. And I'm like, well, does the Balrog even do shadow damage? <laughs> like he looks pretty on fire to me. Like I feel like he would do fire damage. <laughs> yeah. And if I use it, does it last one turn? Does it last five turns? Like, it doesn't tell you. <laughs> There's a bunch of other weird stuff, like when you save the game, which only happens at certain points along your path. It's like a marker in the world that you go and you save your game at. Whenever you save your game, your party gets full health again. So <laughs> if you know that, you can kind of plan around that and let your guys get a little bit lower than you normally would or something right or yeah. if they are low you could go back to the last save point like just walk back there and save again and then you're at full health again which i don't know if i knew as a kid and then the other thing that was really confusing is when your guys level up you would think that that would kind of give you talent points and that would level up your talent point and special abilities but to get ability points for those trees you have to use those abilities or you know at the bottom of the tree or however far up but whenever you use a special ability you get like xp for that talent tree if that makes okay. sense yeah yeah which i feel like when i was a kid i probably didn't use my special abilities that much because i was saving them for like hard moments in the game right so they probably sucked by the time you got to that yeah point. yeah exactly whereas obviously they want you to be using them like kind of all the time and with the save point thing that refreshes your mana too so you can like farm that a bit i'm sure i didn't do that near as much when i was younger but uh yeah so there's a lot of like stuff they just don't tell you <laughs> but the game itself is pretty cool i'm liking it i'm playing it quite a lot i beat the battle wrong i'm through moria it says actually when i save the game how much of the game i have done so i'm apparently like 20 percent of the way through and i don't know how many hours i'll put in maybe like 10 but yeah, um, it's pretty good, and uh, it's very nostalgic. You get nice, awesome music. The sound effects are great. Having freaking Ian McKellen narrate my playthrough is like yes, <laughs> and just being able to like straight up watch the movies. Like I haven't seen them in a while, and I'm like, wow, this is still like really good. Like these movies are incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, it's been pretty fun. But that's what I've been doing. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad you were able to find a way to play it after you weren't able to get your GameCube. Yeah, but um, I'm very interested to hear what you've been playing, Wes, because I know you're doing some Path of Exile. Yes, yeah, I have delved quite deep, and it's a little bit of a pun because one of the <laughs> most recent PoE Path of Exile leagues was called Delve. I mean, I've only been playing it for like 10 days, maybe, but... <laughs> It was like a deep dive. Like, let me tell you, yeah. I, it was every night I was playing it for like several hours and the weekends <laughs> I was willingly letting it consume my life. Um, <laughs> it's real good. We played it together in college and I'm a very like 
for most games. I'm very story focused and I kind of take my time going through things. Mm -hmm. My friend who I'm playing it with it now, every league they go through and just like speed run the whole campaign. Like that doesn't matter. The end game is what matters. And it was such a weird, totally different play style from what I'm used to. I was like, okay, I'll try it out. So like Mm -hmm. within the week I got through the whole story and now I'm in the end game, which is just like infinite ways to grind basically (laughs) for gear and you can keep leveling and getting like stronger and do like crazy hard end game content Mm -hmm. and it's super fun it's kind of what i was looking for right now i guess without knowing it i do want to eventually go and actually like play through the story slowly at some point but it is a super long campaign so it would take Mm -hmm. me a while (laughs) i want to say i put like 30 hours or 25 hours into speed running it yeah and and i mean suboptimally of course like i wasn't <laughs> it was my first time playing the game so i wasn't going super fast but i went mm-hmm. we went through it pretty fast so i can't imagine it's probably like 40 50 hours if i really took my time with it probably around 30 yeah. but it's super good it's got weird mechanics sometimes like you think you get hit and you don't and i never know if it's me getting used to the game or if it's just that the game sucks because sometimes my friends like yeah that's just kind of how it is like you gotta gotta deal with it (laughs) so that's one thing i don't like about it but i am getting used to some of the boss fights and the way that one of the specific end game grinds work which is where you like replay different versions of like these maps it's always the same boss on that map type so there actually is incentive to like learn the boss unless you're just a super op build and you're steamrolling everybody Mm -hmm. which i'm not because i was advised to look up a build online because path of exile one of its claims to fame is you have like six classes seven i think there's an unlockable one but they all share the same skill tree they just start at different points in the skill tree and it's just this giant circular massive yeah it's like 250 different Yeah. Nodes or whatever. I mean, it could even be more than that. It's gigantic. So I didn't want to go into it. I was just like, at a central thing of mind, I wanted to be dual wield and then kind of figure out the rest as I went. But then Mm -hmm. I did start looking at the guide more as I got into it because there's so many options. I was like, I don't want to waste points in this skill if this is vital to my build or something like that. It's totally insane. But. (laughs) learning it as i went it's really fun to kind of tweak the build and figure out what makes it tick like i realized i was going for a block build so now i can prioritize block stats more and understand how that's helping the character survive Mm -hmm. because it's also just like totally mind flooding when you play the game you like jump into it and if you don't know what's going on it's just constant like attacking and killing enemies and just stuff popping up on the screen and 10 debuffs and you don't know what's going on <laughs> yeah and maybe we should clarify for people that don't know the game it's like a what do you call it action rpg is that, is that the yes yeah, yeah. i should have mentioned that at the beginning yeah it's very similar to the diablo mm-hmm. games i think it is an action rpg or an AR, arpg yeah and i think actually people who helped create diablo 2 kind of left blizzard and went to go create this so some people i've heard like really good stuff about the company yeah yeah i think they've been doing a pretty good job and they seem to be pretty responsive to their community too Mm -hmm. but yeah i'm just 
full-on absorbed right now with the end game grind <laughs> i'm loving it it's fun gotta be mindful not to play it too much because i have been playing a ton of it so i might uh, <laughs> go back to knights of the old republic and enjoy some of that linear experience like you were talking about um mm-hmm. because i have really liked that when i've been playing knights of the old republic but yeah that's yeah. that's kind of it I'll, I'll keep updating i'm sure i'll be playing it more in the next couple weeks unless i rage quit which also seems like a possibility because there's a lot of like get 1000 of this one item to alter your gear and then just keep right clicking on your gear hoping that it comes out with the stats that you need like (laughs) so we'll see if i go through 1000 of a really rare thing and i don't get the stats i need maybe i'll never play it again who knows (laughs) i think i'll still be playing it (laughs) i think i still have it installed on mine i played it not too long ago maybe like two years ago and I don't know, I, I got to, like, the forest area. It was on the other side. You go through, like, a city, right, in the campaign. On the other yes, side, there's a yeah. like forest, and that's where I was. Right, and I think that's, like, still pretty early on. I mean, there's yeah, a lot I think of game. it was. The end game is so much of it if you're interested in it, but. Yeah. I feel like now, if, if I go back to it, I'm just going to get sad because I'm, I'm going to want to be playing Marvel Heroes, and that game doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> that's true, yeah. The combat is so much like Marvel Heroes. Oh, I That's that right. Game. I forgot how similar that is to that game. Yeah. Well, if you're in the medieval one and it's not going to bum you out too much, that's definitely a good game for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, let's move into the special topic because I, uh, I think it might be a good one today. I thought maybe what we could do for the special topic is describe to all the listeners what actually goes into making a podcast episode because it's not just we sit down and we say stuff and then we call it a night. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's a long process. So Wes and I are going to do our best to describe it. Everything starts with the research phase, but I'm not going to talk about that too much because 78's right around the corner. I'm sure I'm going to talk about it more then as well. But needless to say, after I do my research for the upcoming year, everything is kind of in what I call like my master list. And it's just a bunch of games in the order that they came out. Some of them already kind of grouped up into stuff I know is going to be honorable mentions. Some of them I might know I want to cover them. But we have the master list. And then after we do an episode, I look at the master list and I probably just kind of grab 10 to 15 games. And I'll look through the games list and I'll be like, okay, which ones do we want to cover? I have to go through every one and usually it's a lot about finding if there's emulation or video because if there's not, we can't really cover them. So I'll go through and I'll try to find four games that might work for an episode, essentially. And depending on where those games land in the timeline, like the episode might be a little shorter, it might be a little longer, there might be a lot of honorable mentions, there might not be. So it all just depends on whatever the timeline is. And then I think one of the most interesting things is like who gets the games, right? That's ultimately something I kind of decide. And uh, usually I base that off of two factors one is i don't want us to review games like the same person a game back to back so i don't want west to review two games in a row that sounds not fun and then usually one of the games is heavily based off of a game that we've already looked at and whoever kind of looked at that old one i don't want them to look at the new one so a good example is today i'm going to be reviewing a game called sprint 4 by atari but Wes just reviewed Sprint 8 not too long ago, so I was like, I don't want to give Wes that one, because <laughs> right. uh, 
you kind of got the last sprint game and I got the one before that. So when I gave myself sprint, that left Wes with the other one that we're going to do today. So that's kind of how we picked the games. And then at that point, I have to go and I kind of look up whatever game that I'm going to give to Wes. And since I did the research for the most part, I know a lot of the resources and the links to the videos because I already had to look that up to figure out what games we could play and what were not. So I try to create like a nice little cheat sheet for Wes to do his reviewing and get him all the information that he needs. And uh, I send that over to him. And then you want to take it from there, Wes, for the recording? Yeah, absolutely. So like Ben said, I'm very lucky on this uh, side of things. Ben puts a lot of it together, if not all of it together for me. And then I do my impressions from there. I take a look at all the resources that Ben's given me for the games. I usually go through the honorable mentions that I'll be talking about just so I can quickly familiarize myself with what they are and try to leave myself like an hour each, if not a little bit more, depending on the game, to play through and research the games. I start up and basically set up my recording area because I it's in my bedroom, so I can't have it set up all the time or else the mic would be in the way and it would be strange and record everything through OBS using a couple different filters on there. It's been great tweaking and messing around with audio as me and Ben are both learning a lot more about it, how to record and how to get things to sound hopefully good. And we use Discord for our actual communication with each other so we can both record our own channels separately but hear what the other person's saying. But back to when I'm actually breaking down the research, I am very orderly about some things and this is one thing i'm like (laughs) super particular about just for my brain so i can get through an episode without ranting most of the time and i start up with a word doc that i have kind of a template i go off the last episode and look at the way i formatted that episode and then format this one the same and first i look up the history of the games and the console or any just interesting general facts then i watch videos that ben's given me and watch a little bit more in depth so I can understand just how the game works in general, what's the general like feel of it, and then start to go into describing the gameplay of it. And then by that point, I kind of have a pretty good impression of what I think about it. Unless it's a game that we're able to play, then I go and take a look and play through it after I've done some research so I know what I'm getting into and go through and do my ratings. That's kind of the whole process for me to... uh put together and start recording for the episode yeah and something else i forgot to mention actually is how i pick special topics and all that i actually make notes as i do my research whenever i read something or have an idea or just like something weird pops up i'll write it down for a possible special topic so now that we're at the end of 77 a lot of my 77 special topics have kind of been used up but (laughs) starting 78 there's going to be a whole bunch of new ones that'll pop up too so I kind of do that as I do the research and I have kind of a list of them that we hit usually whenever they're relevant. So for example, I know I want to talk about the Apple II. It's like, okay, we'll we'll wait till the Apple II episode to do that, you know, so to line it up with the games. But that's how the special topics work. So after we record, which we do in one night, Wes will send me his files. I have my files. We usually record a couple weeks ahead of the editing phase so that I've got some time and we've got some wiggle room, depending on, like, maybe we can't record an episode 
a week, but I can still get an episode out, you know? So it's good to have a backlog so I can do that. But then after the episode's done, I take all the files, I throw them into Pro Tools, which is my editing software. I sync up the audio and go through and, and edit out a lot of ums, a lot of weird mouth noises. <laughs> Everything yeah. goes through a bunch of EQ filters and volume filters and some of that stuff is, is like saved week to week, but there's always like some little tweaks I have to do every episode to get it to sound nice. Uh, the actual episodes end up being a bit shorter than how we record them because we take a lot of just like dead time out and stuff. And then after all that's edited, which probably takes maybe two or three hours to edit, I then have to do the music as well, which is one of my favorite parts to be fair. But it does take a little bit more time. As far as the music goes, I'm kind of like picking songs out to do usually like weeks in advance just because it's always something I'm thinking about. And sometimes I'll pick a song from my childhood, like the Age of Mythology songs is a good example of that. And the one on last week's episode is going to be uh, from the game Bully, which is another one from my childhood. But then sometimes I'll just pick them at random. I'll go like, video games of 1999 scroll halfway down the list and be like okay this one has a cool name let's give it a go and usually <laughs> they kind of work out yeah you find some great stuff doing that yeah so i think two weeks ago was one from a game called super black onyx which just sounded like a cool name and uh, i've never played it i don't know what the game is at all but uh, the music was kind of dark and mysterious and i was like yeah i can do that <laughs> So once I find the OSTs for these, which are all on YouTube, I'll find a piece of music that I like from the games. And usually I don't kind of go any further with it unless I already have an idea of what I want to do for my cover, which usually does involve changing it up quite a bit. But once I get an idea, I'll have to transcribe the song by hand. I almost never look up sheet music for these games because they're kind of just too rare. And it's just faster for me to just do it by hand so i listen to the song a lot and write down what they're doing and then i'll kind of convert that into what i want to do and then i have to record all the instruments all the instruments are real except for the drums which i don't have the uh microphone set up to actually record myself so they're actually fake drums but they sound really nice of course i make sure and spend a long time making sure that everything that I write down and make the drums do, I can do in real life. And you can watch me do that <laughs> on my videos. Yeah. Otherwise it wouldn't be uh, quite fair. So I record all the parts. There's actually two different rhythm parts, one for each ear and then a lead and a bass and uh, the drums. And occasionally I'll throw in choir and stuff and some other weird stuff in there, but just depending, but that's kind of the basics of it. All that's done in Pro Tools again, and then that file gets exported, re-imported to the editing track, and then finally exported out and bounced out. And that file then will get uploaded to where we host our files, which is called castbox.fm, which I'm so happy we found this, Wes, because the podcast almost didn't happen if I had not found this website because <laughs> right. it's absolutely free podcast hosting with no limitations, which is the only site I could find. And I searched probably all night looking for a way for us to do this podcast without paying money. 
and this is the only site and i've had no issues with them whatsoever which has been incredible yeah i highly recommend people check it out if you're gonna host a podcast it's the best place because everywhere else you have to pay money or there's limitations like like i think spotify you could put like 10 episodes up for free it's like well that's not enough (laughs) and uh Honestly, the uploading process is pretty easy and painless and has basically everything you could want. So I definitely recommend them. You guys should definitely check it out. You can listen to the episodes on that website as well. But yeah, I'd say start to finish. It probably takes, what, over a month maybe for an episode? Not counting uh, research. Right. From recording to coming out, especially with the, the backlog that we have too, the way that it works. Yeah. And I'd say for every episode we spend, not including research again, oh, I'd say 12 or 13 hours of work. I think that's about right. Well, at at least you do. I don't want to give myself extra credit, but (laughs) it's it's (laughs) usually about five or four for me. But (laughs) yeah. So it's a lot of work, but uh, just to get like an hour or two of uh, podcasting, but. You know, we have a high standard for things and uh, we're passionate about what we do. So it's not, a, it's not a big deal. But that's everything that goes into making an episode. I hope you guys liked it. By the way, maybe something, a, a quick bit of trivia for everybody. When I record the music, I use a seven string guitar and it's tuned really weird, I feel like. Like, I don't think this is like a normal tuning, but... uh from the first string to the last, it would be E, B, G, D, A, D, A, which is kind of a weird tuning. It's kind oh, of like yeah. drop D with a low A on it. Huh. But I use the same tuning for basically every track that we've ever done. And if I need to change the tuning, I'll probably use a different guitar. Because <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I have a couple. But uh, yeah, it's just something weird about me. I just like that tuning. I don't know. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's move into the games. We got kind of a weird one for you guys today. It's a lot of honorable mentions. Wes and I are only going to review one game each, but I think you guys will see why once we get to the game. So, oh yeah, <laughs> let's get over there. Hello and welcome back to the History of Video Games. We're going to jump in and actually do all of the honorable mentions right up front here. And we're going to start off by talking about the Chromemco Dazzler. I don't know if you guys remember this, but we talked about it on a very first episode of the 1977 set. It's a microprocessor-based computer thing or like a addition yes, yeah. that you can add on. But the crazy thing about it at the time was that it could do color and um, like some interesting graphical fidelity stuff that certainly predated the holy trinity of computers so it was super relevant then i think since the holy trinity is out now it's maybe not as relevant but it's still pretty cool but uh 
we're going to talk about a bunch of games that all basically came from a single games manual. So they all came together. I want to say it was like a book that was published for the Chromemco in 1977. Inside the book, there was a bunch of republished pieces of software that we've already talked about. Stuff like Kaleidoscope, which is just like a weird trippy graphical representation of a right. kaleidoscope <laughs> and uh it also republished games like space War, which we talked about the last time we talked about the Chromemco. but then there's a bunch of new games here too that we're going to talk about the first one that's new is chase which is like another video chase game which i love i really wish we could play these we really tried hard to play them and we found files for them online but we just could not get them running <laughs> yeah yeah to give a brief for anyone interested, some brief details about how, what we tried to get these working. There are files that could supposedly run in Windows DOS. So we ran a Windows DOS emulator, which didn't support those games specifically. And then I found out there's this whole other world of a virtual emulator called VirtualBox, where you then emulate systems within it that is very complex. And if we had spent a lot of time we might have been able to get them running, but it was like hours for a maybe. So we left it as yeah. uh, like we. It, there's no. It's not feasible that we could have played these really. Yeah, I mean, I tried to get them running. I sent them to you. You tried to get them running. We sent them to a third person. They tried to get them running. It just wasn't going to happen. So uh, unfortunately, all we can really go off of is the descriptions inside of the manual. There are no videos for any of these games, which. I feel like there should be if there's files of them out there, which we could find files of them. Right. But there's no video, there's no emulation. That's easy. So we just have to leave it at honorable mentions here. But yeah, the first one was Chase, which is a pretty good addition, I think, especially on a nice colored, good graphical monitor. Yeah. And then next up, we have Dazzle Doodle, which allowed a player to draw in four different colors using a joystick. We've seen a couple of things like this when uh, a mm-hmm. lot of color consoles and computers were first coming out then we have dogfight which was a dogfighting game that sounds like ace but maybe uh horizontal plane fighting um i forget what the one that we've played previously that was horizontal instead of top down was but probably similar to that biplane right I biplane, think it was biplane. yes yeah which was an atari one i think uh no i think it was fun games actually oh okay okay yes right and then we have four-dimensional tic-tac-toe, which was tic-tac-toe, except on a cube, maybe. It displayed moves on a screen, but it might not have actually displayed the board. And then after that, we've got Gotcha, which is some sort of competitive snake-like game. Your opponent gets points if you hit something, though. So I guess you just have to kind of dodge what's on the screen in terms of barriers and the edges in your opponent. And then after that is X-Life, which is some sort of automated game of life for display purposes, I guess. So it's not really a game. It's more like a a tracked mode, if you will. Then next up, we have Tank War, which is most likely just a tank fighting game. And Track, which is a full color game where you navigate a cursor through a spiral using joysticks. So almost like a maze kind of game. Yeah, it sounds like one of those... uh, Have you ever played at like a carnival where... You have like um, a circle and you have to try to get it through like an electrical track without touching the. Yes. Yeah. I think I do know what you're talking about. I have no clue what it's called, but (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's what it sounds like. And that's all for 
77's Chromemco games. Again, they were all from one manual. I don't think any computer hobbies at the time were making stuff for it. It, it doesn't seem to be a very popular system, but there were some stuff, and some of them did sound cool. Tank War and Dogfight, they all sound pretty cool, so too bad we couldn't check them out more. But moving on from that, we have one here. This is actually breaks a rule from my research, but I had to include it. <laughs> because it sounds so ridiculous, but this is actually a calculator game, programmable calculator. And normally I don't include these games in the timeline at all. It's just something that that's not what we're covering. We're covering games that are not on calculators. That's like maybe another person's podcast, but (laughs) (laughs) this one I thought sounded so weird. It's called the Jive Turkey number guessing game. And it's essentially just a number guessing game. So, you know, you guess the number, it says if you're too high or too low, but you set a jive meter, which is what they call it, such as 75%, we'll say, and then only 75% of the time, the computer will actually answer you honestly if you were too high or too low, <laughs> which sounds so stupid and weird and funny, I think. So the strange. computer like just lies to you. <laughs> and it's the fact that it's called the jive meter, I was like, yes, I need a jive meter. <laughs> my life so yeah why is it called the turkey number guessing game i don't know but not sure i thought it was kind of cool i think that one was from some sort of magazine or something i saw it in but then moving on to real games we've got star trek which is kind of a game that was never is more of a prototype than like a full-fledged game but it was made by dave needle stan shepherd and bob ewell and they were all just hobbyists who basically got together and like, we could make a Star Trek game. (laughs) And they made one, and actually seemed pretty cool and interesting. Essentially, an arcade version of like the Star Trek games that we play on computer, where it's like your ship versus another ship, and you've got a bunch of different commands and abilities, and you can uh, I think there's like different shield areas that you can like turn your ship so only certain parts of the ship can be hit and stuff. Essentially, they made only one of these arcade machines and they put it in a store or an arcade and it kind of blew up in like their local area. Somehow they got on TV <laughs> from this and then Bally and Midway actually reached out to them and were like, hey, we would love to actually make this into a real game, but we can't use Star Trek because that's like a licensed property because <laughs> there was it was just called Star Trek and it was just straight up. Star Trek. Right. So they actually hired the devs and we're going to eventually review the game that they made together, which comes out either in 78 or 79. But uh, I just thought that was so cool. I feel like in the old days, you know, if someone made like a good game by themselves, big companies were like, hey, you know, we'll hire you to make that. Right. <laughs> it's, I mean, like, it's not like that anymore. It's such a small world at the time and not super dense. It's like one developer comes out and they do something cool and they're like, hey, we need that talent because nobody knows anything about video games yet. So So I just thought that was so cool that Midway like picked them up. So I was like, yeah, but unfortunately they only ever made one. I don't think that one exists anymore. I think it was destroyed or forgotten in a warehouse somewhere. So there's no real pictures or anything. I think you can find the interview that they did on TV somewhere, but (laughs) I don't think you can find the game, but yeah, it was a pretty cool and interesting one for me. (laughs) And then next up for our last few honorable mentions, we're going to be taking a look at some games that were in the Interface Age magazine. 
first in the November issue, there was a game called Con V Base, which was a base two to base six game. Sounds like math education. Yeah, it sounds like <laughs> something I don't want to deal with too much. And then Blockade, which was just, you know, typical blockade snake type game, except on a computer. Which I think is the first time we've seen that other than the one on the Kremenko, which we just talked about. I think those are the only two versions. On I think so, computer. yeah. I think they, they all have been arcade leading up to it. So it's good. We've, we've been seeing the popularity of arcade games slowly start bleeding its way into the PC games as well. Yeah. And then for the Interface Age December issue, we have, there was a poker game in there. There's this strange one called Word G, which is like a high, low guessing type game, but sort of mixed with Mastermind because you guess a word, but then each letter is marked as too high or too low in the alphabet compared to the real word. So it's like Bulls and Cleots mixed with Mastermind, yeah. mixed with high, low. It's got a lot of stuff going on. It sounds so fun. Yeah, it, it's kind of crazy. I, I bet that would be interesting. I, <laughs> and then we have one called Biorhythm and another one called Piranha, which does sound really cool. It's sort of piranhas flying at you and you have to dodge them. Yeah, yeah. And then we're going to briefly talk consoles here. I wanted to review this one as well, but I couldn't find any videos of these. But we're going to talk about two consoles that were made with the MM57186 chip, which was by National Semiconductor. This is the last chip that National Semiconductor will come out with, which makes me a little sad because I feel like we've talked about them enough for me to kind of know the company, but I don't know if we're going to see them again. But they were like one of the first to come out with kind of an AY38500 knockoff or uh competitor. competitor yeah but this one apparently had 23 different types of games now they say 23 it could be like two pong games with a bunch of options <laughs> i don't know i my guess is that it's a lot of pong games and maybe like a there might be a light gun or something involved i'm not sure but uh there was that chip they also came out i want to say quickly with the MN57106, which is just the PAL version, and actually didn't find any consoles that use that chip at all in 77. But for the US one, I found two consoles. One was called the Video U, I'm going to say. It's J-E-U. The N30 by Philips. And then the J-E-U again, Electronic Televise T03 by Radiola which both sound like French companies or something. So Yes, yeah, and we're not uh, going to gamble with our ability to pronounce French words because we're not very yeah. good at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, those were the two I found from them. But couldn't play it, didn't find any videos or anything, so we'll just have to mention it. And Wes, I think we're finally here. We are finally at, in this weird, a little bit upside-down episode after going through the honorable mentions, the first game I took a look at, which is a console, actually, and a bunch of games. Kind of like four chips in one. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And it's the Telstar Arcade by Coleco. What I want to say, starting this off, is look up a picture of this one. Yes. We describe a lot of things, like how cabinets look and how consoles look, and some of them, I mean, just take our description for it. This one I won't do justice because it's so strange. <laughs> and also to start things off, Ben was able to find a TV commercial for this one, which we always love because, of course, they're like 
kind of cringy and just like hilarious and very 70s. The tagline for Coleco at the time was hitch your TV to a Telstar, which I oh, like no. a lot. And they did have the classic thing of in this quick draw light gun game, the guy in the commercial shoots the guy in the first shot and the girl next to him goes, you got him. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> they, they were like, they knew what they were doing when they were trying to sell this. It's hilarious. Yeah. But the console itself is what is so absurd. The base of it is a triangle. So the whole thing is like these three edges in a triangle shape and then just a different control scheme on each side of it. One side is for Pong games, so it has two knobs and then a button to like serve or smash for other game types. One is a revolver that actually holsters in the console, which is hilarious and pretty awesome. And that one obviously is for light gun games. And then the last one is a steering wheel, which has a like throttle slash shifting lever next to it for driving games. And all of that's like glued to the triangle, which is just yes, hilarious yeah. to me. It's like a, I mean, it's like the bottom half of like a triangular prism, if that helps anyone imagine it more. But as I said, basically just look it up because it's hilarious. You would just spin this yeah. thing to the side that you wanted to play and then you'd play on that side of it. <laughs> and the cartridge, because it's a cartridge console, but not second gen because all of the information pretty much was stored on the cartridge and then... It sort of just everything it needed to run that cartridge was on the console itself. I forget the exact distinction there, but it is a first-gen console. The cartridges are like these triangular flat things that you lay face down or like flat on the top of the console, and the chip goes in that way instead of the normal just like insert a cartridge right side up. Yeah. So it's so strange and hilarious, and it has like this real... 70s version of the year 2000 feel to it and i love it it's so good the cartridges themselves were four different moss technology chips that played several different games the console was all brown and wood grain and the steering wheel actually detached so that you could uh store it easier which is a nice convenience i wouldn't expect from this strange console <laughs> although i will say in all the videos i watched of people using that it squeaked like crazy so i mean of course it's been like 40 years, but maybe it's detaching <laughs> is making it uh, not so great anymore. Mm -hmm. But the gameplay is a lot of what I'm going to talk about. There are 13 different games between the four cartridges that you can play. A lot of them are going to be pretty familiar, but I'm just going to go through and list what all of them are on each of the cartridges. Yeah, and I want to mention too that we condensed it to 13 they they mark it as having like 30 or something but they don't right and a lot of those are basically like you flip a switch and now it's like fast mode or you know like something yeah. else appears on the screen and now it's like different pong yeah i think like a lot of pong was had like one and two player or something like that or maybe two or four player and that was like a bunch of different games to them yeah yeah but even on the front of the cartridge itself it says like game one, game two, game three, and then all the other stuff is listed under. So on some level, they knew. <laughs> but to start off with cartridge one, this is the one that was included with the console when you got it. The other three you had to buy separately. Cartridge one had Road Race, which was a horizontal racing game where you move the car up and down, which is kind of sideways across the track, if you can mm -hmm. picture that. And you just have to dodge cars with the wheel. And the cars move at you faster, the opposing cars, 
if you put the shifter up or slower if you put it down. And basically like a typical this kind of racing game, you want to get as far as you can in the time limit to get as many points. When you crash in this, you blink for a while and then you stop and the cars don't hit you while you're stopped, which is interesting, the opposing cars. And then once you accelerate, they start hitting you again. The opposing cars, though, they are just diagonally bouncing in the same pattern every time. It alternates whether it's one car or two cars grouped up that you have to dodge. And the sprites are pretty simple, but honestly pretty good for a console. The dots even have this, on the side of the road, have this like alternating long and short pattern to make it look like they're moving by as you travel. Because your car doesn't actually move at all except for the up and down. Mm-hmm. It's just the other cars going past you on the side of the road that makes it look like you're moving. And then next on the car- first cartridge is tennis, which is Pong. And that's it. Uh, the, the score isn't on the screen the whole time. It blinks after, and it just looks like a pretty competent and fun Pong, but it's just Pong. And then lastly, for the first cartridge, there is Quick Draw, which is a light gun game with the revolver, of course. A little character goes across the screen in sort of a diagonal pattern, which the only way I can describe is the like old DVD screensaver from mid 2000s. <laughs> like, it bounces yeah. diagonally, but it also seems kind of random. Like, it ends up going across the whole screen in a couple different ways. And you just have to shoot it to get points. Whenever you shoot it, you have to manually hit a button to make it start again. The sprite does change sometimes to look like he's ducking, like his arms just disappear and he gets shorter, which is really weird and kind of funny, but it probably doesn't do anything. Like, you're still going to hit him. He doesn't get that much smaller. (laughs) Right. But it is funny that it just randomly changes and it beeps whenever the character moves. The weird thing about this and all of the light gun games, as we will see, is that it's just totally black background. The sprites are white. That's it. Moving on, though, to the second cartridge, it had hockey, which is pretty much exactly what you would expect. It's classic hockey. It's just pong, except with a smaller goal and a paddle on the other person's side of the field. But this cartridge did also come with two other wired controllers you could plug in so that hockey and tennis could support two and four players. And then the tennis on this one, they marketed as another game, but I'm pretty sure it's exactly the same tennis as cartridge one, except now you have two controllers and it allows you to play four players. Then there's handball, which is one to two players, but other than that, just classic squash handball type of pong game. And lastly, there's target, which is a light gun game for this. The squares kind of light up and disappear on this real fast, so it's a bit You don't have a consistent target. It's more like you're reacting to where they appear. It also does have a different mode where it says the squares jump, but I don't know what that means. I'm guessing they just kind of like arc across the screen or do a diagonal, but they stay on the screen instead of like disappearing like they do. Mm -hmm. But this one, it is nice because you don't have to hit the reset button every time you shoot a target. It's more like shoot as many as you can before the time runs out and then you get that many points. Yeah. And then on the third cartridge now, we have Bonus Pinball, which is a weird name for the first game since it has bonus in it. I don't know why. That just throws me <laughs> off. I feel like it should be game number four. Yeah. We have Bonus Pinball, which does a pretty good job of giving you the look of like old school 2000s PC pinball games. Like it's just a straight up and down view of a pinball machine. Uh, it has the Pong dials for the control for this one. Or Pong dials are actually to control the optional 
extra barriers that you could add onto the pinball field, which is an interesting feature. And then the slam button or the spike button that was on the Pong thing is how you move the paddles. It actually looks pretty cool for a video pinball game, but also looks really difficult. Like the paddles are short, the ball was moving really fast, unless there's a setting to slow it down, which there might be. But looked, yeah, it looked kind of hard, <laughs> even though it looked pretty fun. Then next up, there's shooting gallery on this one, which is basically target, except you shoot a quote unquote bear that pops on the screen. It's just kind of like this weird space invader alien looking blob that's a bear. It looks like it might be two players taking turns to shoot the bear. When I was watching videos of this, the scoring was very confusing. Like one side would go up to two and they go down to zero. So I don't know if it was like a competition, but there's not two guns. So I don't know what was going on with the scoring there. It's slightly different than the other games, I guess, than the other light gun games. Mm -hmm. And then also there was shoot the bear where the bear goes across the screen and does a series of loops. I think when you shoot it, it goes and proceeds to the next like loop in its cycle. And then you just have to shoot it as many times as you can before it exits the screen, as far as I can tell. And then lastly, for Cartridge 3, there was Deluxe Pinball, which seems exactly the same as Bonus Pinball. <laughs> there might have been different scoring or maybe the hazards that you could put on the screen with the Pong dials were slightly different. It had a different background color, but it was very difficult to tell why this is Deluxe versus Bonus. And then moving on to Cartridge 4, the final cartridge for this console, there was Naval Battle, which is using the Pong controls. You move the ship vertically on the screen, and then you use the slam button to shoot the missile straight up at ships that are passing back and forth above you. This one's a two-player game, so you're competing with other people for targets. And there's this weird thing, which I'm guessing is intended, but who knows, where if you stay within the black strip at the bottom of the screen, your shot goes straight up. But if you go above the black strip on the screen, your shot curves to either the right or the left. So it's a weird element of strategy, maybe, or like technique. I don't know. The ships look simple, but they're pretty good, honestly, for a console. And then next on this cartridge, we have Speedball, which is an interesting, weird variant of Pong, which I was actually really excited to see. There's these two giant squares blocking direct forward access to the goals. So you have to kind of go in from an angle. And then there's a line on the top and bottom of the screen that accelerate the ball's speed when they hit against that line. So it just kind of like shoots out whenever it hits that line and kind of goes in at a weird angle to get a goal. It's mm -hmm. a neat idea. It looks chaotic. And I don't know if it actually works very well. And one <laughs> of the reviewers that I watched noticed that if you hit it at some point and then both players leave their paddles just in the middle of the goal, the ball just gets stuck in an infinite loop and somebody has to like be the one to move first and let it score or else nothing will happen, <laughs> which is not great design, but I do like the idea and I think it's pretty cool and a different take on Pong than we've really seen. And then the last one is Blast Away, which is the light gun game for this cartridge very similar to quick draw you might take turns and each player shoots the spaceship three times before it blows up i don't know how the scoring worked like the person shot at three times one person got 50 points the other person shot at three times and then they got 50 points 
So I, I don't know what the, the difference is. Like maybe you have a number of shots you can miss, or if you don't shoot it three times within a certain time, it goes to the other player. There must be some element, but it's just another weird Lycan game, basically. And so that is all of the games on all of the cartridges for the Telstar Arcade. And now I want to get into my ratings. It's kind of hard to rate these all together, but at the same time, uh, they weren't too great. So it, was, it wasn't <laughs> that hard. For graphics, I gave it a 1.5 out of 10. There's some decent sprites in Quick Draw, Road Race, and Naval Battle. But for the most part, it's pretty simple. Everything was displayed pretty clearly, as far as I could tell, and I like that the score was displayed, and in games where it made sense for it to stay there, it stayed there, and then in other games it disappeared. And there were also a few different colors, but it seemed like only three to four different backgrounds, and it wasn't really ever like a bunch of different characters were different colors. It was usually just the backgrounds or the borders were different colors, which is okay, but not great. One of the main killers for me, it must be how they wanted their light gun games to work but every single light gun game is just total black background with a bright white target mm -hmm. i'm guessing it's a limitation of the hardware where you know to be able to actually register the shot it needed to have that contrast right so i don't want to blame it entirely on them but it didn't look fantastic it was just really bland <laughs> could have put up a uh, one of those plastic overlays exactly <laughs> learn a thing or two from the uh Weird Odyssey. The Odyssey. Yeah. <laughs> I love those, even though they're so silly. And then moving on to sounds, I gave it a 1.5 out of 10. For the most part, there's a lot of pong sounds, which honestly are good pong sounds, so that's fine, but they're pong sounds, so we've heard them way too much before. The best sounds on the console are probably the engine sounds in Road Race and the crash sounds, but the engine sound, as far as I could tell, isn't in any of the other games, on any of the other cartridges. It's like this idling sound that revs up. I mean, typical video game engine sound that we've been hearing in these past few years, but they didn't throw it in anything else. And also, I mean, I'm bleeding into gameplay a little bit, but one of my biggest complaints from this is Road Race was one of the ones I had the most fun with. It's the only yeah. like car racing game on four cartridges. <laughs> they took up a whole side of the triangle just for that one. <laughs> yeah, I know. But back to sound. The crash sound was also pretty good, and they did have that in a few other games when, uh, like, I think Battleship, you got a shot and you hit one of your targets, it did that sound. And then there was also a successful shot target hit sound when you're playing the light gun games, which is pretty good, but again, just not great, not stellar. So moving on to the gameplay, I gave that a 1.5 out of 10 as well. There are some interesting variants on this console, but nothing that really blew me away. And one of my biggest problems with all these games is that it feels like every single cartridge, they wanted to justify the fact that they had a light gun strapped to this thing. 
that are like, let's throw in a kind of different quick draw. Like there were some of those versions that were okay, but they were all pretty similar shooting gallery type games. There's not too much mm -hmm. you could do with that. So those didn't really impress me too much. I did like the pinball games, but they looked like they wouldn't be fun. Like, and maybe that's just my perception of it, but I thought they looked really cool, but it just looked like the paddles were way too short to be able to get any kind of score going without it just bouncing, without you having any input. And Speedball and Road Race were probably my favorites, and the Pong games also seemed to play pretty well. But even with the whole list of games, it just didn't seem like that much I would want to play. So then for relevance, I gave it a 6 out of 10. I think if anything, it has to be relevant just because it is this weird triangle console that is super funny to look at. So I mean, it's at least relevant in the sense that it's very memorable. It reminds me a lot of the Super Pong stunt cycle mashup console that Sears did where they just slapped everything together and tried to make it a cohesive console. I love it. It's ridiculous. And the fact that Telstar was also creating TV commercials at the time, to me, says they must still be kind of relevant if they're able to put on TV commercials in 77. <laughs> so lastly, for my overall rating, I give it a 1.5 out of 10. There are a ton of games on here if you get all the cartridges, and some of them are pretty good, but overall they just feel like too empty or too similar to other games, especially the light gun games. I really would have liked to see more racing games since even though that was pretty simple, it was at least one of the most fun ones. If they could find a way to switch it up, I think racing games would have been a really good idea. But I think for this console, it's at its best with the first cartridge. You get a good Pong, a decent driving game, and a light gun game that's all it needs to be without adding weird stuff that just makes it more confusing and not that different. Once you add all the other cartridges in, you just don't get that much more variety, I felt like. So overall, that is the Telstar Arcade. It is a super interesting one, but uh, probably not my favorite. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool, but uh, they threw a, a lot at you, but the quality for everyone like wasn't the same, <laughs> you know? Like, I think, like, Naval Battle was pretty cool, but you also get, like, shooting at squares as a game. It's like, that's not the same, <laughs> you know, right. the same quality to me. Like, one has unique sprites in it. One is basically the same game that you already bought. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I feel like, I mean, you get the most variety and the most, like, of the fun original ones just in that first cartridge. All the other ones, it's like, one game from there is good, one game from there is good, and yeah. Yeah. Again, I feel like also this one, if it had come out last year, it would have been like our favorite console of the year, I think. <laughs> right. Just because there's so much going on. Yeah. Now that we've done the 2600, it's just like, well, this kind of sucks now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's kind of a little too good, a little too late. You know, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, it's definitely cool. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Check it out. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And then uh, we're going to move into the last one that we have here today. It's one that I rated called Sprint 4, which I alluded to earlier. This one came out in December of 77, and it's a four-player version of Sprint. And now I know what you're thinking. Haven't you already done this, Ben? <laughs> uh, I did review Sprint 2, and Wes reviewed Sprint 8. But for some reason, it went 2 and 8 and then 4. <laughs> so I want to say this is... I guess marketed as like a 
like you know how the eight player ones i feel like they're really big there's eight steering wheels you know and then this one's like the you don't have so much room in your arcades like no problem you know this is the smaller compact one and if that's all it was i probably wouldn't really care about it too much but they actually changed a bunch of stuff on here and for everything that's good that they changed there's some bad stuff too <laughs> so it's a very strange one i'll be referring to my sprint 2 ratings a lot when i talk about this but let me talk about the cabinet first it's really bland i mean it's a cocktail table essentially and then there's two steering wheels on one side and then opposite of that side is another two steering wheels so that's how you get the four player and then it has this like canopy looking thing above it and on the canopy is like a nice decal of like a stock car racer or something like that but on the actual cocktail table there's no decals or like anything it's just like a plain red color with some black on it oh weird. which is yeah it's very just simple like i don't even see atari's logo on it <laughs> weird. and it's also weird that I don't think I've ever seen a four-player version of this where there's not a steering wheel on all four sides. It's right. two and two, which is kind of weird. Unless they just modified like a Sprint 8 thing. And they're like, yeah, yeah take those two off. Couple and- off. <laughs> yeah, that could be true. I don't know. But uh, basically, each player is kind of looking down so everybody can see the screen. The game itself is just like the other Sprint games. It's a racing game kind of in the Grand Track 10 style. I think the sprint games in particular, obviously they're from key games, by the way, even, you know, key games, Atari, but it's the key games line. I think the sprint games, to me, they're really known for kind of two main things. One is that you can pick the track that you want to race on, which before sprint, you couldn't really do that. It was like either random or there's only one track or something. In this game, there's actually 10 different tracks, which is a pretty good amount. And then the other thing that Sprint was really known for, to me anyway, is the drifting in it was pretty nice. And this does have that as well. So it is a core Sprint game, but there were some changes. So let me get into the ratings. I'm going to start out by talking about graphics, I think. Because this is something that they changed, and I have no clue why. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, the car sprite models are different from Sprint 2 and Sprint 8 that you did, Wes. In Sprint 2 and Sprint 8, they were kind of really skinny, and they looked more like the uh, derby racer cars you would do in, like, Cub Scouts or something, you know? Right, yeah. And on this one, they're a lot thicker and wider, and I guess maybe they do that because on some of the cars, to make them different from one another, there's kind of like a like in the middle of the car shell it's actually kind of like transparent so it kind of looks like maybe there's a window or something on the top of the car and i guess that's okay but in general they look pretty bad (laughs) uh it's one of those things where there's you know a slightly different sprite for whatever direction you're going and if you're going like straight left or straight right or straight up or straight down it's pretty okay but then the diagonals just look horrible. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, they look like bugs. And the thing about the graphics to me, like, not only do the cars not look better, in my opinion, but they take up significantly more sprites on the screen. So, whereas in Sprint 2 and Sprint 8, the cars are so small that you could have probably, like, three 
cars all kind of in one lane without touching each other, which was cool because you could you could definitely outmaneuver around the other cars then. There's a lot of room to do that and a lot of room to get a really nice speed going. Whereas in this one, the cars are so large that you're constantly hitting other cars and the track itself, the lanes feel significantly more narrow and you just can't get a fast speed because the track relative to your car size is a lot smaller. So I feel like maybe the cars look better, it's debatable, but the end result is that your racing game is not racing as well as it used to. <laughs> like that's a big deal. But so for the graphics, the cars are different. The tracks themselves, since they have to be larger to accommodate the larger cars, are significantly more simple in terms of their design. It's like a figure eight or like a circle or like a C shape. You know, it's, I feel like we've seen cooler ones in the older Sprint games. And I know Sprint 2, the first one, had 12 different tracks. So this having 10, it's like not really a big deal to me. <laughs> right. So the thing that they did add, or I don't know that I would say that they added, but in Sprint 2, the original, it was like black and white. In your game, Wes, it was in color, Sprint 8. This is in color as well. So at least it's kind of in color, but in a racing game where the background is basically all black anyway, even if the cars are different colors, it's not a very big improvement to me. So in general, I thought the graphics were maybe a little bit worse than they were last time I looked at this. So I gave it a one and a half out of 10 for graphics. For gameplay, I think I already kind of alluded to this, but having the cars be so much bigger makes them not be able to move as fast and makes them constantly hit into other things like all the time. There is AI in this. I think this is the first game where they let somebody join up after the race has started. So if you started a race with two players and then someone was watching, they could actually put in a quarter and join in the race, which was oh, like, okay. I guess a big deal. <laughs> this one also had a four way shifter. I don't know why, because I don't think you'd ever be able to shift past two without <laughs> having Crashing to shift for the, the turns, which are essentially like U turns and stuff. So I don't know, but there's a four way shifter, which I think is different from the other games as well, which I think just had a two way shifter. I don't think we ever mentioned this, Wes, but I think on all the sprint games, there is no brake pedal. So when you want to drift, since there's no brake pedal, you just have to like turn the steering wheel like really violently and that'll get you to drift, which is a little weird, but uh, I guess it could work. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like the changing of the graphics and adding like a four-way shifter and some of the other things, like it doesn't matter because the core gameplay has gotten worse. So, I don't know. I gave it a 3 out of 10. You can play with four people. That's better than the last time I rated this. You can still drift. I don't know. I I don't think it'd be near as fun as the other ones, but it's still a fun racing game. And compared to, like, other manufacturers at this time, they're the only ones kind of doing it like this. So, I think it still would be fun, but I would rather play the other ones. For sound, this is something that they, I guess, innovated on quite a bit, which is the fact that there are four unique sound channels. So every single car gets their own engine noise and will get their own crash sound when they crash. So it sounds oh, really busy. Yeah, really uh, active. I want to say they were split 
between different speakers on the actual cabinet so each person could kind of hear their own car a little bit better which is cool so i guess that is a nice innovation there's no music or anything but you at least have four distinct engine noises and different cars going on so i thought that was cool i gave that two and a half out of ten And then, you know, for relevance, I just gave it a four because, I don't know, I think Sprint 2 and Sprint 8 were a lot more impactful than this one. (laughs) It did have some of those first features like the shifter and being able to add in a quarter while a game is going, but I didn't think that that was too memorable. And overall, I just gave it two and a half out of ten. You know, it's, it's like still a decently fun racing game but to put it in perspective i gave sprint 2 a 4 out of 10 so i think it's noticeably worse than that and a lot of it comes down to the car models just looking worse in my opinion right it like bugs me because i don't really know why they would do that because i didn't that's like wasn't an issue i had with the other ones so i don't know yeah unless they were you know like oh well now there's people have played it with eight they'll think it's too empty if we only have four tiny cars but i think yeah. it'd be fun yeah no i mean get to, like some nice speed or something i don't know you actually have some room on the track uh, yeah, yeah that does seem strange but very cool about the audio to be able to have like yeah. four different drones and crashes because that's what you want or at least that's what i like in that kind of game like kind of hectic especially for that rc type rc car type kind of racing game yeah there's definitely some good stuff about it. Uh, having the 10 different tracks is always like really nice. Makes it so that you want to play it 10 times in, in a sense. <laughs> so there's definitely good things about it, but I just feel like a lot of the things I loved about the original sprint have been sacrificed a little bit for other things that I don't really care about. <laughs> right, yeah. But, you know, I guess they're still trying some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> There is one more game in this Sprint series. There's uh, a final one. I don't know what kind of car they'll be in there, but uh, I guess you'll probably tell us next year, Wes. Yeah, so. Sprint 32. Just a swarm of bees <laughs> on the... <laughs> That'd be awesome. And that's it for us today, guys. We had a lot of honorable mentions, and then Wes did a massive console. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just reviewing some of the games. You had Pong games. You had Light Gun games. You had a naval battle shoot game. You had a road race, speed race type game. You had pinball. There's a lot of stuff on there, but it seems like it didn't really do any of them that well. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of substance, not necessarily a lot of uh, quality there, at least from my perspective. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, we did Sprint 4, which was a interesting take on the Sprint series that I think maybe lost something about its core gameplay that I wish had back so a little bit of a letdown but hey you know we're getting ready to wrap up 77 and next episode will be our last of the year we have Holy finally cow. made it was yeah crazy so stuff. i'm gonna have to start looking at our favorite games because that's gonna be super hard <laughs> got a lot to go through but it, it'll be exciting maybe it'll actually be a contentious winner this time instead of 
sometimes when it's like, well, yeah, we know this one was the best, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited though. So I hope you guys like that. Yeah. And as always, make sure to uh, keep an eye on our Twitter. We'll post any updates about whether we're putting up a episode or any special announcements on there. Make sure to send us an email if you have any questions and check out our website because it's got a ton of information of all the stuff we've covered. If you want a visual way to look through it and see pictures and GIFs associated with all the stuff that we're talking about. Yeah. So with that, we'll see you guys in the next one. See y'all next time.